Hey, welcome to Feature Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. Hey, Joe. It's nice to meet you. My name's Peter. I got a quick, uh, I got a quick uh, user mailbag. Yeah. Oh, is it a hate mail? No, no. It was a nice little comment from Jim from Detroit. Oh, sorry to hear that, Jim. Uh, J- yeah, <laughs> it's Jim from the uh, the th- thriving urban center of Detroit. I uh, just wanted to mention that he uh, thinks we kill it week week in week out, and he he's paid special attention to our occasional Magic the Gathering talk. <laughs> it slipped in. Our... Did you do uh, air quotes when you said occasional? No, I I uh, I did not. Well, Jim, uh, just uh, strap in and catch up on some of those back episodes. I think we go into D and D magic and other terrible nerd directions a little more than occasionally. I guess it, it's worth mentioning because it's been a bit since we've probably explicitly said so if you're just joining us and you're wondering why we use phrases like say masquerade grand elysium <laughs> no <don't> do it. <laughs> that sort of thing um you know just type them into google you know like an no. rpg context and find out for yourself let's just say our, our nerd runs even deeper than some care to admit like peter like me like my wife <laughs> now i'm glad she doesn't listen to this stuff or she'd hear you just out hey listen your wife has has vocalized an appreciation for chakotay i'm i'm not yeah. i'm not sure how much longer your relationship really has i mean she could go running off for beltran any any moment you know i wonder what he looks like these days probably fat i'm just guessing i'm just <laughs> guessing based on the fact that the 90s well, version of him was already starting to lose that battle <laughs> you're in good company then robert because uh, i can't throw any stones on that one i am happy to report that i think this was episode four of uh orville was a real good one probably the easily the best of the season so far um I look forward to you catching up on these i have not yet uh binged through it i intend to you know, if we ever people who keep asking us if we're going to do more Star Trek after we're done with Voyager and I point out to them that we won't actually get done with Voyager until like 2021 at the that's crazy, the rate that we do it. I mean, there's a lot of it. We're only in season three. There's seven seasons. So we got a while before this is actually going to be a question. Uh, but maybe maybe we should do like an Orville podcast. That would, could change things up, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's the other side of the coin too. Um, Discovery, which you have not been a fan of. Ah. I am on record saying I really liked the first season and I watched the first episode of the second season and really, I, I got the opposite impression for some people. I watched the first season. I, I did so so that I could understand my enemy. I mean, I, I first I wanted it to be good, and then slowly as it was bad, and then got worse and worse and worse, and circled the drain, and then went into the sewer, and then fell into a lot of poop, and then kind of rolled around in it. Uh, I just got angry, and I just wanted to feel more anger, I guess. But of some of the other fellow not fans of Discovery, I know that decided to tune in were like, "This was an improvement." It was not an improvement for you. I liked all the dark shit and, you know, I don't want to drag this episode into uh, discovery talking in, but um, it's very clear that they've done it about face, you know, turn heel to more cheerful Trek. I, I don't know. I, 
I got my thoughts and, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to finish out the rest of the season or didn't, didn't win me over out of the gate. Let's say that. Well, the more cheerful Trek is what I want. So maybe I wasn't going to give it another try. I was just be like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done purposefully infuriating myself by watching this show shit on everything that I love about Star Trek, uh, be poorly written, even more poorly acted and just, and just depress me. Uh, but now if they've like decided that they're not going to do that anymore, maybe, maybe I'll become the discovery fan. Maybe that's how it will work. Yeah. Or maybe you're just going to have to stick to cheerful, lovely, well-acted, well-scripted Trek in the way of Voyager season three, episode nine futures End part two. Well, I think you may have spoken too soon. <laughs> uh, so just quick thoughts to begin. Um, there's something that we mentioned in our last episode. I don't want to, I want to hit on like right away. And that's the villain that we're dealing with in this two parter. Stan Sitwell from arrested development. Yes. Stan from arrested development. So Ed Bagley Jr.'s character in this is basically we, we, he was, he's just evil generic capitalist, right? He's, he's an evil generic capitalist. That's what he is. He's, he is 90s tech mogul guy. He is evil Bill Gates. Evil Bill Gates made his rounds, too, because there was a whole um, James Bond movie under was it? Yeah, it was still Pierce Brosnan, where he like fights evil Bill Gates as one of his villains. Elliot Carver from Tomorrow Never Carver Dies. Media. There you go. I fucking love Bond movies. I've seen every single one of them. You know, he's he's the same thing. The Bond villains specifically are always kind of the zeitgeist of what's wrong with the world encapsulated in one person who James Bond, you know, usually kicks into a stream of liquid nitrogen and then shoves off a balcony or something inventive. Um, so about this time we were starting to see the dawn of the internet and uh I don't know future technology thief capitalist was a popular thing going on i don't know if you remembered um the tv show called time tracks where i don't actually lambert oh boy well let me tell you about a great tv show you missed out on it's about a orphan boy from the future who is a time cop and he gets sent back in time with future powers including like super speed and strength and he has a car remote like a car alarm that is a phaser and he's got a (laughs) credit card that is a supercomputer with a hologram of an old school teacher and uh, they go back in time because there's a bunch of future criminals who have come back into the past bringing future tech to basically profiteer and he has to bag him tag him and send him home uh, you might also remember the big budget version of this being Van Damme's Time Cop. So well, yeah, I've pretty... definitely seen Time Cop. <laughs> this is a tried and true 90s thing. I also anime. enjoyed the Time Cop television show that was on for exactly one season, by the way. Who played in that? Don't fucking remember. <laughs> um, I So Ed Bagley Jr. is playing the star. Henry Starling is his character. He's He's generic evil Bill Gates. It's... I think it's insulting to compare him to a Bond villain, which is generally much better acted and better written, which tells you something. Um, 
his weakness as a character in the first episode is nothing compared to how miserable he becomes in this one. They just don't know what the fuck to do to make this guy a relevant threat that that also is something the audience will care about. And so they just didn't. And it weighs down the whole adventure because you don't really get to know anything about his motivation for why he doesn't give a shit that he's going to accidentally blow up the 29th century version of Earth's solar system. And they eventually will get to a point where, like, he has this opportunity to justify his actions. And he just, like, lays down a smelly fart monologue that you just kind of like, okay, I, I really don't care about what's happening now. And I bring this up now because I want to remind everybody that Brand Braga thought this guy was the best villain they had come up with so far. He is clearly, absolutely the worst villain that they've come up with so far. I'm thinking back to every named antagonist character that they've had on the show for a single episode, all the way through to some of the persistent antagonists that truly were great. Seska, obviously on the top of the mountain. And this fucking guy is at the bottom of the heap. Fucking Vlad Goldblum and his Skeevian friends with their Eastern European clothes and their sex offender haircuts well, Don't drag better. the Skeevians through through the mud. Those guys, I've put a lot of thought into the Skeevians, and they were fucking legit, and I'm sad that Voyager didn't fully flesh them out into reoccurring antagonists. I think the closest thing to compare this guy to Stan Sitwell to was um, Candy Corn Tragedy Terrorists, so back in <laughs> Time and Again, which sits as one of our most ridiculed episodes for good reason. Um, there was, uh, the terrorist cell that ends up parading Janeway and Paris into the water treatment facility where they're going to eventually, and that's another time travel episode. Actually, the the issue from that episode ends up being very relevant in this one too. We'll get to that. Yeah. That causality loop or whatever this, we didn't even mention because we were having so much fun last episode, but you know. Voyager really scrapes the bottom of the barrel when it comes to time travel ideas, and it does so very frequently. But yeah, the the terrorist from the Candy Corn tragedy was someone who, despite Janeway's warnings, was willing to indulge in a behavior that was going to blow up the world, literally. Um, and yeah, that that is really the blueprint for the end of this episode, and 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 we'll get into that more. But uh, the the, the- where we. The terrorists from the Candy Corn tragedy, in my opinion, were more understandably. Yes. Like they're above Starling because they did not really understand the situation they were in. Whereas Starling is confronted with the reality of his actions by future people at every turn. And he's like, "Eh, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You keep dragging me into the end of the Candy Corn tragedy people. And like I said, they were better acted or I'm sorry, they were better characters. I think Ed Bagley Jr. did as good as he could with the script for, for yeah, the he was, way they he was handed from. nothing to work with. I'm not blaming him as an actor. Because, again, he was OK in the first part. It's just here they give deeper motivations and they're just terrible motivations. Yeah, the terrorists in Candy Corn Tragedy, they thought that Janeway was uh, part of the establishment and lying and they were very confused. Uh, Stan Sitwell in Future's Ends just like, I understand everything you're saying and I am going to put my uh, hand in this car door and slam it regardless. The beginning 
is fantastic because the beginning is hip hop Tuvok. <laughs> yep. Did we really talk about Tuvok's choice in costuming on this? No, no, we didn't. Uh, it's uh... Tom Paris has like this. Uh, who is the G.I. Joe character that wears a Hawaiian shirt and jeans is just real laid back? Do you remember which character that was? I was not a G.I. Joe guy growing up. I was a Transformers kid. That's what he looked like. Uh, and I know what Tuvok you're talking about. Like... I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, Tuv- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tuvok is I, you know. Here's the thing, though, that gets me about Tuvok's outfit. Did someone tell him, hey, since you're black skinned and we're going to Southern California, you should dress like you're Tupac? Or did he come to that conclusion himself by looking through the cultural database and saying, I should look like black skinned humans do? Uh, this one is very famous from that period. His look is one I will emulate and it throws the do rag on. Which one of those happened? Because it had to be one of them. I was thinking, you know, the important part of his disguise is hiding his ears, which because they were in such a rush to get 24th century people on 1996 Earth that they couldn't be bothered to trim his ears off. <laughs> right. Even though they, they can make people turn... look like Cardassians, but they can't fucking uh... <laughs> nuke his ears for 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, given his his strong dedication to logic, his reserved principle, I mean, they could have made him some sort of like religious clergy wearing like a turban or some sort of a hat that covered it. There are so many different ways to go that had him more respectable than street dude. Tubak is really getting into life in 1996, and we open with Tom fiddling around with that Volkswagen's radio trying to like Frankenstein his combat agenda somehow uh, talking to Sarah Silverman in the morning when Tubak rolls up with some Jack in the box or something and starts handing it's people a, breakfast. It's chili burritos and like fucking big gulps, chili burritos, big gulps and hot dogs. And I want you to let it really kind of stew around your mind that this is what Tuvok intentionally bought. Like the fact that he's getting, you know, pop, or soda, whatever you want to call it at nine in the morning when he just got water. He's enjoying this. This, this is a very willful <laughs> thing this is... that he's poisoning himself with, you know, ancient earth junk food first thing in the morning. And even the Sarah Silverson's like, what are you doing? This is not good for breakfast. And he's like, basically tough shit. We're eating burritos. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, this is, this is 1990, uh, this is 1996, uh, Sarah Silverman, who clearly did all the sit-ups because they got her in that fucking crop top. Oh, yeah. To make yeah. make it clear in as many shots as possible that Sarah Silverman did many, many sit-ups. Um, so she didn't want to eat this the, the damn chili dog. You know, it's going to go right to the abs. But, yeah, I like the idea, like, that Tuvok is testing his Vulcan, like, physiology. To, like, can I digest this? <laughs> can I my iron involving. Vulcan stomach handle this chili yeah. dog. Sarah Silverman, who I also know in this episode is extra annoying. And it really, really made me happy that they did not end up making her the permanent fixture on the show. You, that You can thank Rick Berman for that. He's apparently the one that shot it down. <laughs> like, one of the few times I'm going to throw Rick a, a thank you, but that was the right call. All the people that they could have picked up along the way from uh, the baby Kazon, uh, Dr. Pell, 
we should make a list of all the people that should have joined Voyager at some point to replenish the crewmen foolishly lost in uh, desert worm caves. Uh, Silverman, I think, is really the worst pick we've seen so far. We already mentioned it, but it's same in this episode as it was last week, and that is Sarah Silverman has no business attempting to play a straight woman in a, a dramatic television show. She is a comedian. She her talent is her style of comedy. Asking her to read this these fucking lines and do this fucking techno babble is absolutely not playing to her strengths. And it shows 120% because she never feels like she's like doing anything natural. She always she has this glossy look in her eyes, like, oh fuck, I gotta nail this line. And it, I I don't get it. Total miscast. It's like this is not the person you bring in to do this. And you have to wonder, like, this is 10 years before uh, Jesus' Magic, which is where she got famous, right? That was 2006. I mean, did, did, was she a comedian then? I don't know. I don't have no I idea. And, and I'm not really prepared to give her any more time on... Uh... <laughs> It's like they cast discussion plate. It's like it, it, it's, did they cast her in this? Like knowing, like was there anything that was known about her? Is she a total unknown and just came in cold read it and they're like, fine, fuck it, you, you've got the right look, so we're gonna go with it. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by how they managed to get Sarah Silverman in this and then just not use her in the correct way. I'm sure there's several fascinating internet articles about it. Uh, if you're willing to stomach the google search to get there <laughs> i am not let's much like those burritos for breakfast man uh so yeah they are trying to make contact with voyager voyager at this point has had its butt spanked awfully hard you'll remember by the end of the last episode stan sitwell had used the transporter beam signal to get access to the uh, ship's computer and when they say downloaded, they say he downloaded 20% of Voyager's files. What they mean is that they moved. And they'll kind of flesh this out better. This is 1996, not really knowing how to use um, technology terms the right way. Downloaded made it seem like they just copied the files. They permanently moved the files. They sit well, stole them from Voyager, including uh, the doctor. So voyager's phasers it's transporter it's engines there's still all sorts of stuff fucked up they've lost contact with tom and tuvok on the surface and now they're trying to recover for all the you know systems files that sitwell has uh and and made an even bigger problem for voyager to deal with ultimately tuvok and tom decide that they're going to need to go back to the observatory and uh patch in through tricorder to get the the telescope's ability to broadcast their signal up into space and hit Voyager. Meanwhile, in Voyager, they're having a confab in the briefing room, and they are dealing with two crises at the moment. Well, really three. One, in the previous episode, uh, Voyager attempted to pluck Henry Starling's time ship away from his uh, aptly named Chronoworks building, which is like, I think you called like Time Thief Incorporated. Uh, And they failed. So the bad guy still has the MacGuffin that's going to end up blowing up future Earth. Bad. Uh, Second issue is that when they attempted to pluck it, Starling actually stole 20% of Voyager's computer 
information, which included the whole of the doctor's program. So they're out some critical functionality. And then three, uh, Ensign Harry Kim, who they left in charge because all of the senior officers decided to go on a play date down to Southern California, decided to, in order to uh, swing in and grab the commander and Captain Janeway, uh, that he would fly Voyager in close formation right over the the Los Angeles skyline so millions of people could see this clearly futuristic spaceship. And uh, it got on the news, perhaps somewhat appropriately for the time period. The sudden appearance of lights and the uh, a potential UFO was not taken seriously by media outlets, according to Neelix, who's in charge of watching all of that. Uh, but uh, the U.S. military is definitely interested in what happened. They can't risk doing that a second time. So they start to try and figure out what to do. And meanwhile... Uh, they have uh, Captain Time Hobo's uh, like hobo scrawlings that he did, and I love this prop. And and it's it's yeah, go ahead. It's a fucking paper bag that you would get your groceries in, all unfolded out. So it's this big ratty rectangle with all of his scrawlings on it. And Kim's like, yes, because of the intricate time theories that I am now familiar with, because this federation future captain of the time force like broke all of the rules <laughs> and has taken his hypertech and scrawled it out on the back of this kroger bag uh we now know how his ship works and have a real keen insight like i got a lot of issues with braxton throughout this as i intonated earlier like a he's still loose on the planet b this guy has been the worst starship or time ship captain, whatever. I mean, every rule that this guy has been willing to murder for to preserve the integrity of the timeline, he has broken all over the place. And he is a real loose cannon and loose end that just never gets tied up or really addressed in any real way. It's understandable in a sense that nobody w- would take it seriously because it's a hobo doing things that are 900 years too advanced for normal people to understand. So... It's probably something so out of out of whack that it wouldn't actually interrupt the the flow of time. Anyway, uh, now that Harry has figured out that yes, uh, Sterling is gonna Starling's gonna blow up space time by fucking this up because he's not smart enough to do this. Um, they decide, okay, well, we've got to do something, and we got to get this this time ship. So what are we going to do? And they decide that they're going to come up with something when Tuvok actually contacts them, having instituted the plan of go back to the observatory and contact Voyager. I think about this time they cut over to Stan Sitwell in his office where he uh, calls up on his little IBM computer, uh, the doctor. And because Stan Sitwell has stolen all the 29th century technology he has hollow emitters and all the infrastructure there to materialize the doctor and he begins trying to interrogate the doctor for additional info on voyager and we get a real cute interplay between the two of them where uh the doctor being very smug is like i'm not gonna play ball with you uh, there's nothing you can do to hurt me and ultimately i don't care if i live or die so screw off 
there is one throwaway line in here, which I didn't even catch the first time where Sitwell's really pressing him hard saying, I want full psychological profiles on the captain. And he says, uh, something along the lines of I've recently had a database failure and I'm still trying to recover my things. I thought he was just making shit up for a second, but when I sat there and thought about it, I think that's actually them going back and referencing, um, the swarm, the swarm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a rare treat to see that kind of continuity. But Sitwell's got a little trick up his sleeve because he has used his advanced, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, Sitwell has to be a pretty smart guy for being a, a hobo hippie out in the desert that was in the right place at the right time for him to harness this 29th century technology. Like, it's actually part some of the, the shit. Yeah, it's like it's part of the episode I hate, to be honest with you. Like, he is like super hyper competent at using 29th century technology to outclass all of the 24th century technology things. Like the only thing he fucks up is the timeship stuff. Like it's the only mistake he makes in the entire episode. And uh, there just isn't any meat on the bone as to what the fuck, like this guy was just some hippie and he just, this stuff fell into his lap and he's, he's good at it. Why? Um, There's no explanation to that. He just is. Just give me something like Seska. I understand why she can do everything that she does. She's an obsidian order spy. That's master manipulator. We see that through interactions with characters. We see that through the implied background that is given to her. Good context. Excellent. Enjoy it. This guy, he's some hippie found this time ship and he's apparently just a fucking genius. What? Like what? I mean, they could have just had him be a disgraced, researcher hack or someone who had you know your your typical give me a line give me one line of your that super, typical super scientist you know disgraced out of the medical community just some guy who was smart but had real bad ethics <coughs> Jatral, and uh you know once he got his hands on some hot shit was able to run with it anyways so he's able to reprogram the doctor so the doctor can actually feel pain And he gives the doctor like front row seats to the pain show and creates a sensation of the doctor being on fire, which does not go over well. Sends Picardo down on the floor, writhing around in agony. And before he can pick up the rest of the uh, interrogations, I think what they get a phone call from uh, Sarah Silverman. Yeah, so the plan on the part of the uh the trio i guess we'll, we'll say tupac tuvok uh howdy doody tom and and sarah silverman is that they need to get sterling that's what voyager wants to do they might actually capture sterling himself they can't get to the time ship they want to get to sterling himself and so the trap they're gonna lay down is that Rain Robinson's going to act like, oh, I'm being hunted and being attacked. I, I need help. Please come get me. Kind of appeal to Sterling to to get him to personally come and retrieve her. It's obviously a bit of a ploy. Sterling's already immediately staying, seeing through it. And uh, he tells the doctor, hey, you know, we're going to be going for travel here. The doctor obviously says, uh... Like, what do you, the fuck do you mean? I can only go where there's holographic projectors. The next shot is the doctor getting out of the car at uh, the Metro Plaza that they're meeting uh, uh, Sarah Silverman at. And the doctor's out in the real world. And he's got a little dongle on his shoulder. 
And this this ends up being probably the, the biggest deal out of this episode for the rest of the show. Yeah, if we're talking overall impact. Yeah, like the, um, the, the, the introduction of the mobile emitter, which is what that is, um, ends up being unlocking a lot more doctor stuff into happening that we see from this point forward. Yeah. So it's uh stands so well, the doctor um, roll over with their, their thug. I don't know why this guy bothers me so much. His name's Dunbar and he's the suited goon. And he does everything for Sitwell. This is the ultimate goon. He always has his suit on. His hair always looks nice. He always has a little ID badge for ChronoWorks clipped to his coat. So he looks as foolish as possible at all times. And for Sitwell having like this sprawling financial empire, the fact that this guy's doing everything from driving the semi truck and trying to run people off the road to sitting in the spacecraft and trying to remotely, you know, magic things or whatever. Just get some extra goons. That That's all I'm asking for. They show up in their old villain Lincoln Continental. And you see Tupac Tuvok, and I actually looked it up, the uh, G.I. Joe that Tom's dressed up as is uh, Chuckles. <laughs> Chuckles. Chuckles the... Chuckles, the blonde Hawaiian shirt wearing G.I. Joe. That seems like a perfect name for Tom Paris anyway. Yeah. So they're uh, hiding behind water fountains or whatever. And the plan here is that they're going to lure um, Stan Sitwell out into the open. Uh, Somehow Sarah Silverman is going to convince him to come back to her van as though she's got some free candy in there. And Chakotay and Balana who are going to be flying overhead in a shuttlecraft are going to use the shuttlecraft's transporter to abduct him off the surface, which is a legit plan. Last episode, my question was, okay, if the main ship's transporters are offline, why aren't the shuttlecraft out? And the shuttlecraft up in the air is doing all the right things, not only using something with a small profile so, you know, all of LA doesn't see it, and it's got all of its technology intact, but Balana even reconfigures the shields into like a cloaking device. So to anybody who looks up, the shuttlecraft's going to look like, uh, I don't know, some sort of jet flying around. The dialogue that they haven't seen is um, just kind of, I guess, a little buddy comedy time between uh, Chakotay and Torres. We hear about Chakotay basically learning how to fly uh, in the Academy by uh, like going to Venus to to do atmospheric storms then go into the asteroid belts to learn how to dodge asteroids. And meanwhile, Balan is like punching people on astro physics labs or something like that. I got to say the Chakotay Starfleet sounds pretty sweet. It does. That sounds like Top Gun <laughs> is what that sounded yeah. like. And give me that episode instead of half the Voyager episodes I've gotten so far. They, they had a moment where they looked like they were going to hit on something that I thought would be an interesting point for them to discuss, which is if they're stuck in the 20th century, what the fuck do the aliens on Voyager even do? Like, what is Bologna? Go, what, is, what is she going to do? Like, she, she, they're going to put her in makeup and hope it just never falls off. Like, uh, like how how screwed are they uh, if the end result is Voyager stuck there? They have to abandon the technology not to interrupt the timeline. And, you know, like, what do they do? And instead of actually exploring that, they just do a quick gag and then carry on with the episode. It's like. Well, let's talk about that for a reason, because that's where the meat on the bone is here. 
we have grown up on Back to the Future and Time Cop and a lot of stuff that takes space time continuum very seriously, like Star Trek. I don't think it's you can't integrate the crew, you know, and there is no thought given at any point to what impact can they have on the greater Star Trek universe. We've talked about Juggalo tech. Um, you know, they could have put everybody into cryo sleep, even if they're not using the, the, you know, mind awake matrix, um, from the thaw, they could have put everybody in just flat out cryo sleep, which is totally technology. They have, they have, members of the crew like the Vulcans, which could probably survive. Well, I don't know. What's a Vulcan's realistic age range? I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's centuries. I mean, they might be able to survive that long. Who knows? Yeah. You could prevent yeah. Wolf three, five, nine. You could prevent this major war. You could turn the tide against, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. That's true. You could just stay in orbit, refill whatever supplies you need and just chill out on the cut deeper in uh you could put time capsules on the ground um you know to to alert starfleet at a certain point that hey we're out there and we we're alive there's you could never do the caretaker mission in the first place um but instead of touching any of that serious stuff yeah you just get some real light gag work and i think it was a real disservice even the conversation of let's integrate the crew with earth in current day if chakotay let's assume chakotay is not making jokes about you know becoming an archaeologist and, and making some big finds like how is that any different than going and picking the winning lottery numbers or you know going the almanac route from back to the future chakotay if you're making the big discoveries you're robbing the legitimate archaeologists <laughs> yes. out of their their thing if you guys are in there making babies you are killing thousands of people in the future if not more by removing you know the 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 fate designated couples that should have been together and of course integrating the crew of course we you know that brings us back around to the predestination paradox if it's such a circumstance should occur are they intended or destined to do the things that we are talking about and it won't in fact interrupt this the the timeline but allow the timeline to occur i mean this this is the inherent problem in time travel episodes that go too deep it's stupid which is why my favorite time travel science fiction uh movie of all time is oh looper uh, because Looper, when they start to get into the predestination paradox element of the time travel, Bruce Willis literally just slams his hand on the table and says, I don't want to sit here talking about time travel. And that's it. They're just done talking about it from that point forward. And then they do the rest of the movie. They're like, let's I... not focus on this. Let's focus on all of the other parts of the story. Looper is the stupidest time travel movie of all time. I will fight you. I will fight you and I will win. I will fucking crush any of your shit right now with... with one observation okay and we're gonna fuck this episode we're gonna get into looper if you guys don't all care right. about loopers skip forward 10 minutes all right all right let's fight let's do this i'm ready looper is a movie where it is so hard to perform a murder in the future that bad guys go to the extent of abducting people and sending them back in time so hitmen embedded in the past can then kill people and get away with it because forensics is so good in the future that if you kill somebody you're going down and you're going down hard 
right? Correct. So you got a bunch of good buildup and everything else, and it gets to the point where what's-his-face is retired. Bruce Willis is retired, and he's settled down with his wife, who he loves. And part of being one of these past hitmen dudes is that eventually your time comes and you're going to die. Right. You get sent back to the past to be killed by your past self. So they send the goon squad to collect Bruce Willis so they can black bag him and send him back into the past. But in the future, like I said, it's impossible to get away with murder, especially just flat out killing people. Like, I don't know if they got precogs or what, but if you don't like you, you shoot someone, you're, you're just bringing down hell. You're damning yourself to jail and all that. Again, time travel hitmen exist because you can't just shoot people. So the group that comes in to abduct Bruce Willis and start this fucking movie off, the dude's got a fucking gun and he shoots Bruce Willis's wife and he kills her. The fact this guy has a gun is ridiculous. All right. He might as well have a fucking nuclear bomb that when he activates, it just blows up everybody in his party. Because that's what's going to happen. You wouldn't go through the whole rigmarole of sending someone back in time to be shot in the head if you could just kill him in the future. Why would Peter, you have, have you, a gun? Have you considered the following when it comes to this? Because I've heard this complaint before and I have an answer for you. Are you ready? Lay it on me. Lay it on me. Okay. The only time that we're told about the you can't kill people in the future because they just instantly find out about it is through Joseph Gordon-Levitt's dialogue at the very beginning of the film he's the only time the only person that ever mentions it and he only mentions it as something that he has been told and of course the only person that could tell him something about the future is the the future crime boss that came back in time to run the whole operation right someone who is incentivized to lie to everyone about why they're doing what they're doing right so have you considered the idea that that's not actually true in context of the film. That's just the story they got told. That has like a butt hair worth of credibility. <laughs> Again, the fucking premise is time travel, complicated ass time travel is more is 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 worth killing people. May, maybe maybe you're right, but Occam's Razor, uh, the guy with the gun was just a complete shit evil lunatic stupid villain that has somehow manages to outclass even Stan Sitwell in the in the time traveling buffoonery of sci-fi. The, 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 Why would we start talking about this again? What, what, what were because we Looper is the, one of the finest science fiction movies so, and time travel movies ever made. You are a person that needs to get right with Jesus if you don't like it. <laughs> Looper could have been a good movie had they just accidentally started a house fire and killed her by complete accident not intentionally fucking shooting his wife in the head looper is a great movie and you are hitler that that <laughs> these are facts well you know what if <laughs> i could find a good way to make a joke about that stupid <laughs> all right uh and the ends i'll just sit here and strum my blue ball guitar while you <laughs> are wrong so uh eventually uh Chicote and Bolana um, try to execute on a plan with Tuvok and Paris to nab Ed Begley Jr. from the car. And they try to, to lay the trap and they have to do some last minute alterations. They're obviously thrown off by the doctor being there. 
But the way it goes down is eventually they are able to nab in the shuttlecraft transporter uh, Starling and in in doing so the doctor starts like rolling haymakers out on the random goon guy it's not random that's dunbar we know who he is (laughs) dunbar and starts just like railing dunbar in the face over and over again and tells uh sarah silverman to run and he himself also escapes sterling gets beamed up to the shuttlecraft but he has like a 29th century uh doohickey and the doohickey is is scrambling his pattern, and so it's like blowing up all the systems on the shuttlecraft. So they got to basically beam his pattern out of the pattern buffer onto Voyager, and then uh, the shuttlecraft is all screwed up from the doohickey, and it ends up crashing. I thought this was the most legit part out of the whole episode. Like a lot of times, Voyager does stuff just to do it and make plot happen. I thought the handoff here of how you now put. Uh, the shuttlecraft into predicament and throw Voyager's plan off while still kind of costing Sitwell. It was all plausible with just enough technology sprinkled in to make everything feasible. The, I agree. It, it was an interesting sequence. It allowed for a little bit more peril in the episode, which it definitely needed. There wasn't enough left for them to do that. It had enough variety in it to be interesting. Um, They get, they get Sterling onto Voyager and they have him pinned down in uh, sick bay. Uh, meanwhile, we we cut back to Chakotay and Bellana, who in showing right that out left field time is a flat circle, my friend, because this is both the most 1996 and 2018 thing to ever happen. Uh, but they have been captured and hogtied, and they're in the basement of some Arizona hilljacks who are part of a right-wing militia group who hate the government. (laughs) So that's right, ladies and gentlemen. The two former terrorists are currently being held captive by terrorists. That's some synergy for you. That's some synergy. Total left-field situation here. They wake up in what looks like some sort of a rape barn. All hog tied up and covered in <laughs> some, dirt. Some, some he- there was some heavy deliverance vibes there at the beginning. Yeah, all it's missing is that uh, that dueling banjo. Um, so I did not see any of this stuff coming. And when the dudes come down and start accusing them of being government spies and this and that, there's some real overt racism. Nobody really seems to overly mind the fact that Bellana has this alien stuff going on in her forehead. Uh, I will point out these terrorists have awesome taste in guns. He's rocking a uh, Franchi Spass 12 shotgun. That's a semi-automatic shotgun. Uh, The same one that Robert Muldoon used in Jurassic Park, which is like my favorite shotgun ever. So very happy to see that one. And yeah, they know there's part of this uh, fancy spy plane that went flying overhead. And now Chakotay is stuck in a pickle. We're going to see where his anthropology gets him here. I want you to get the uh, dun-dun-dun buddy ready again because... Yet again, two Voyager crew members find themselves in prison. And need of a daring jailbreak rescue attempt. And I do like what they ended up doing with that jailbreak rescue attempt. So while it's for some reason, I don't know. I don't think this was ever actually established in the episode. Tom Paris has a cell phone, like a 90 cell phone that suddenly works as a communicator. Uh-huh. And so he's using that to call up Voyager 
and they have to split the party. And uh, Tom and Sarah Silverman are going to go try and get to the Chrono ship while Tuvok and the newly mobile doctor, who is very self-satisfied at his mobility, uh, are going to go to Arizona and spring uh, Bolana and Chakotay. So it's never revealed exactly how it is that Tuvok and the doctor like get a car and go there. But I guess that's a kind of detail we don't care about. They, they end up going there and uh, in what can only be described as a uh, minimalist way to settle the dispute. Um, some feds had shown up because they also saw the shuttlecraft crash. The right wing militia obviously starts a conflict with them, an armed conflict with them. And we don't see anything that happened. We just hear Tom, we just hear Tuvok. Uh, trying to convince everyone to give up and when they don't probably lay down a sick like multi-phasic you know phaser single shot that knocks everyone out because we know he can do that and uh who should enter the rape barn but uh the doctor of course the local yokels try and shoot him doesn't work because he's a hologram and he lays down uh what they say you know mother of god uh, he lays down what can I only call as basically a data line uh, when he says that uh, divine intervention is unlikely and then just shoots both of them. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Appreciate here what what really has happened all as far as Voyager's crew interacting with 1996. Not only has the <laughs> and, and also let me point out, this is another uh, bonafide shuttle crash. Not only is it a jailbreak episode, it's now also a shuttlecraft uh, episode. But yeah, it's not just them going out and throwing down some hillbillies nobody cares about. Like they took out what they said, uh, two trucks full of feds and a helicopter. That's a lot of witnesses to some phaser yeah, fire. Yeah, it's it, it, it's like we're we're breaking the masquerade more and more at every step with these guys like. They're not really caring anymore who who sees the mucilarity on the news. They're just they're just going how balls out on it. Yeah, I I think that if they had the budget for it, judging by the fact that the doctor had the phaser, like you got Tuvok with the phaser, you got the doctor with the phaser, and the doctor's just walking forward taking shots because it doesn't matter. I can only assume that on the surface, when it's the feds and the freemen shooting at him. It's like a real Terminator 2 Judgment Day scene where Arnold stands at the edge of the building and just goes ape shit with the Gatling gun and mows everybody down. I like it. I like it. So, yeah, he gets down and says, uh, hey, you know, yo, guys, I heard you like shuttle crafts and uh, jailbreak. So we crash your shuttle so we could break you out of the out of the desert pokey. And he grabs. um he grabs our Starfleet guys and they just uh, they take off. I think they all actually pile back in the shuttle and fix it up. Yeah, Tuvok works some magic on the t- on the shuttlecraft off camera. Meanwhile, on Voyager, you know, uh, Starling's been captured. Janeway lays down a really stupid line <laughs> about Chronoworks stock is about to crash. How would it's she like, even God. know what stocks are? This is where they just lay down this stupid ass wet fart monologue where you know, you have your opportunity for Starling to like justify or uh, like explain why he's doing something with all these people telling him not to. And he understands that they're really from the future and would know. And uh, he's like, no, 
no, I want I want to make iPhones and shit. So I got to go to the 29th century and get iPhone shit. So I'm going to do it because because I don't care about 900 years in the future. Those people are my problem. And it's like this is the most unrealistically stupid, evil capitalist argument of all time. It's worse than that because he does try to bring in like morality to justify it. He is going, first of all, he believes that Janeway is there to steal his technology because they thought he would be easy pickings and that they could rob future tech off of him easier than just going into the future to rob their own tech. Um, And he fancies himself a champion of humanity, like this Lex Luthor figure, and that he is making everybody's life easier and that it is worth it no matter the cost, while also making him a ton of money. And uh, even though he is this pro-humanity, I want to advance us and build a brighter, better tomorrow. Even though I'm in the same breath talking about, I don't care if I'm going to kill everybody on Earth 900 years from now. Also, in the process, killing myself. Like, he just has the worst selective hearing possible. The worst muddy morality monologue possible. And it's just, where he started as, you know... All right, he's a, he's a dude stealing tech from the future. You could have left it at that. It didn't need this poor attempt at rationalizing his actions. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I don't. Everything you said is correct. I I don't have too much to add to it. Uh, can can I throw this? The out there? absence of this would have been better than including it. And if you can say that about a scene, that's pretty fucking sad. Do you remember um, uh, the next gen episode with uh, Max Headroom? <laughs> Max Headroom. You remember, you remember uh, Burling Burling Ramuse? Oh Burling yeah, 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 yeah. The uh, okay, yeah, the the future quote unquote uh, professor observer. Yeah, and he was a thief. It was suppo- who was from the past and went to the future, and then started going to like the middle future, the twenty fourth century, and he was there to like steal tricorders and phasers and stuff. Like, why couldn't this have just been the guy somehow? That would have been really cool, but I guess they didn't want to necessarily have to pay the writer of that episode for using his idea. Did Did you know that that was actually uh, supposed to be Robin Williams who played uh, Bryce yeah, Mason? Yeah, yeah. And I think even, you know, Max Hedrum, whatever his name was, did a great job with it. And the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, this is just like a, a super shittier version of that. And had they just grabbed this pre-existing character I mean, you you just grab the stupid Ferengi for uh, false prophets. Why not grab him for, you know, some more next gen throwbacks? And I thought that guy's did a really good job of being a a shitty person who was selfish and, uh, you know, carried the episode with his villainy very well. They got him trapped in sickbay and. That's the other thing I thought that he like, OK, this dude knows technology, like maybe leaving around all these computer panels and stuff isn't a good idea like didn't uh tuvok escape out of there and so did tom like that tuvok real talk corner is not a good place for the brig maybe you should just use the brig and ultimately they've got dunbar his lackey sitting in the <laughs> shuttlecraft using yeah, in the time space satellites to hack his location which again he's got 29th century technology whatever uh Dunbar is able to lock onto his boss and beam him off of Voyager back down to Chrono Works. I was going to have a shit fit about the fact that, you know, they let this happen, but 
again, good writing. They just say, hey, you know, we had shields up and that 29th century just cut through uh, tech, just cut through our shields like they weren't even there. All I need. Fine. Absolutely. I mean, like the use of Starling using 29th century technology is not my issue. My issue is that they never explain how the fuck he's this good at it. Like there's not one fucking line in the whole damn episode to explain his magical competence with all of this stuff. Yet somehow, some way he fucks up the one thing that's going to cause this big problem in the future. Um, yeah, it's just the really fact that he's doing it time. is is totally appropriate for the storyline, though. Um, so Starling gets back. He's like, all right, now it's time for me to do the time thing. We got to get this shit going. And there's this truck that pulls out of the Chrono Works building that's got Tachyon signatures that. Uh, Tom and Sarah Silverman start to go after in her VW bus and they have a super low intensity car chase scene in the desert <laughs> with a VW bus versus a semi and like get closer. I got to phaser it before he phasers us. I mean, it's just it's classic Star Trek action sequence where there isn't any. Yeah. And, you know, so this semi looks like the old Knight Rider Knight Foundation mobile command base. And yeah, you've got uh, the 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 bus driving behind him with Tom and Sarah Silverman. Again, you've already shown the power of a hand phaser. Like he could have vaporized that entire bus from like <laughs> half a mile away with it. But instead he's like shooting the tires out and other like pistol type antics. They thought that uh, they were able to run the bus or the, the truck off the road, but instead Dunbar who has been doing everything is also a really great truck driver turns this thing around on a dime. I work in logistics, Joe, I can tell you, it takes a little bit longer to turn a semi around than uh, the two seconds that they get. Cause I think they stall the bus out and uh, the truck comes charging down, ready to slam into the Volkswagen when suddenly that little class two type two shuttle pops in over the horizon, blasts the truck with one phaser shot blows up poor Dunbar oh, and the rest so of the cab dead. He's super dead. All that loyalty to Sitwell, man, and it did not work out well for him. Yeah, they they blow the fucking truck up in a pretty cool exchange. Um, and they're like, yay, we did it. But oops, it's a decoy. And there's just a tachyon emission, you know, doodad in there. And boy, don't we look stupid. There's Sitwell still sitting in his building, juicing up the time ship. And then he just flies through the wall with it. R.I.P. Dunbar. See you at the crossroads. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm saying. Like this guy is doing everything. What business does he have driving a semi truck? Like, I hope he was getting paid. Well, we get a little sequence on Voyager where once again, Ensign Kim is in charge very briefly. And Janeway decides she's going to go personally rope reprogram the torpedo necessary to blow up the ship. Okay. So all of this to set up my major problem with this episode and my major problem with Voyager's inability to write temporal paradox stuff in any compelling way is it because photon torpedoes are super illegal and if you're gonna use a photon torpedo to send someone back into time then why not just set their house on fire oh looper i'm sorry what were you saying about this one looper the finest movie of this or any other generation but uh mm -hmm. no so we already mentioned the candy corn tragedy and yep. at the end of the candy corn tragedy what was our complaint our complaint was we went through that entire episode about how there's this apparent time paradox where Janeway is accidentally, through her actions, going to cause the destruction of the planet. 
and we are waiting all episode for some action on the part of Kess specifically because she was psychically like tuned in to what was going on that would interrupt the paradox in some meaningful way and prevent it from happening. Right. But what happened at the end, Peter? Uh, we took all the science, threw it away and Janeway just shot a gun instead. Right. So what happened here, Peter? Uh, without even the dignity of giving us a Cardassian hallway shot, uh, Janeway ignores all the science and just shoots a gun instead. In the end, Voyager does nothing, discovers nothing, or makes no adjustments to what could have easily led them to doing exactly what caused the disaster in the 29th century to begin with. They've got no, there was no point that they establish this has changed things enough that we have a chance to to break this loop in a way that's meaningful. So exactly the problem from a candy corn tragedy is there isn't anything in the episode to suggest why this works. Like everything else seems to be part of the same predestination paradox. So why is it that that Janeway going down and like throwing the switch to shoot the torpedo is the change? There's no at no point did anything happen suggest that's the case well you see with these temporal episodes um like you said time is a flat circle and if it worked back in the candy corn tragedy it's going to work here it's it's a mess uh you know they want to give janeway the scene where like always she's willing to sacrifice her own life to accomplish the mission she goes down for this very dramatic reprogramming of the torpedo which i don't know why the torpedo launching blows her up and you know, causes medical injury, but we need to know that, you know, Janeway's got real skin in the game on this. The, the whole problem is that Voyager did something during a temporal event that blows up earth in the future. I don't think like the ship flying through a time rift, the last time they shot a ship by a time rift, a big accident happened. They got sucked in and dumped off in in ancient earth shooting photon torpedoes at the time ship as it's going through a time portal like if anything to me said hey what could cause a catastrophic event in the future like blowing shit up on a time rift seems real high on that list even more so than some bad math yeah yeah sending an antimatter explosive warhead into the situation seems like a really great way to make things fucking worse but I mean, this is this is the problem. Like, we just uh, we don't explore any of this. We just have Janeway shooting the gun, just a progressively bigger one, and it saves the day. And then uh, Captain Time Hobo comes back through the rift and says, "Hey, what the fuck is Voyager doing here? Like, you're not supposed to be here at this time. I gotta send you back because the Temporal Prime Directive." Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, dude." Um... We know you because you're on the planet. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't know anything about that timeline, which is real cold. And I think there's some good headcanon to kind of flesh out here. Like if you're fu- it's like a real Rick and Morty moment, like there's infinite timelines and everybody just disposable. And, yeah, there's one of me that's dying homeless and flea ridden and alone and crazy and tortured. I don't care about that, dude. You know, there's a million of them out there. You can't can't shed a tear for every uh for every Rick or Morty that's in peril. Um, and they go, uh, hey, dude, you know, I get we don't you don't care about yourself, but 
Uh, if you've got all this crazy hypertech, any way you could just dump us off like close to home when you do that? And he's like, ah, no. <laughs> Prime directive, sorry, you're on the other side again. And they're like, yeah, well, we guess that's the case. So they call the shuttle back in. Tom gets a makeout session with Sarah Silverman before they beam him out. Everybody gets back on the ship and off they go through the time wormhole. And we're not really sure what has changed. Have they prevented the all of the impact that Stan Sitwell initially had? I don't think so, because if they cut them off at that point, like everything has already happened up to that point. All of the stolen technology is already in play. Braxton's still on the surface. Uh, the com badges and the tricorders that Janeway has left behind are there. Voyager flying through the clouds still happened. Yeah, they um, don't resolve any of the lingering side effects of a change in the timeline that... Uh, Captain Time Hobo's time ship not landing in the 20th century and therefore not leading to the computer revolution of the age occurring, nor do they address Voyager's potential interference with the timeline by frequently using 24th century technology in front of 20th century people. None of this is addressed. None of this is discussed. Instead, Voyager is a status quo antebellum right back where they started, except the doctor has a mobile emitter. That's that's it. Uh, and why? That's it. Why wouldn't Braxton like They'd be like, hey, yeah, by the way, if you can just go back and fix all this, prevent the entire event from even happening in the first place. Like he could have gone back to when he was going to go back and said just, hey, Voyager's not a problem here. Stay away. We'll, we'll cut this thing, you know, nip this thing in the bud. <sighs> this is a very good example of a bad time travel episode. And I'm saying this part two being a bad example of time like part one was cheeky and fun and I was able to ignore stuff and just go with the flow and have a good time. Same this, they really get into the, they get in the nitty gritty about time travel protocols and just mishandle the shit out of it. And it's like, Oh, that's why I don't really care for time travel episodes. The the first one was good, bad. This one is bad, bad. Like, you know, the, the, the first one was an enjoyable, rompy kind of experience, you know, and then, and then this is okay time for payoff and they just kind of flubbed every element of it they flubbed the villain uh they flubbed actually like paying it off in any kind of exciting sequences on screen they don't show you yeah. stuff like they just it's all very low budget like the whole episode both these two parters very they retread budget. the terrible candy corn tragedy ending which i had for the most part forgotten about so screw you for reminding me of the major problems there beyond costumes and instead of doing something like interesting understanding time travel paradoxes like in the classic and wonderful movie looper which you should all watch and ignore peter uh instead they just watch and ask yourself how does this guy have a gun (laughs) you've invented time travel to murder people if you if you go on an evil guy outing and you see your buddy has a fucking gun. You should like throw him in a ditch and drive away and fire fat Tony because fat Tony's a fucking loose cannon and a liability. Let him go shoot someone on his own time. It it's, it's, it's like the ultimate OSHA offense of future murder guy employment. So happy I could have this experience with you. I had no idea this was such a pain point. It it is, because it'd be a great movie if it wasn't so fucking stupid over this one thing. 
And I'm already keyed up about stupid time travel stuff. So, um, yeah, Looper fits right in here, man. Did Bran Brownall write that script, too? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have to title this episode as some kind of Looper reference. It's just, yeah, it's just going to be called uh, Looper, Please. <laughs> oh. The Hateful Voyage Through Time and Space. What else we got on this goddamn thing? It's over. This one's over. What do we what's what's next week's episode? uh we're gonna have uh oh hey i found it it's uh looper from 2013 (laughs) starring bruce willis yeah no uh looper (laughs) no it's a season three episode 10 warlord now in the picture you've got uh chakotay sitting in the background and then you've got neelix sitting there with an expression that looks like someone just jammed a finger up his butt a dying warlord takes over Kess's body and is determined to reclaim his home planet. Well, this could be an interesting one. I uh, I don't remember it very well. I uh, I have been very pleasantly surprised by all of our Kess focused adventures, though. So I want to say it's another Kess is in peril and someone got possessed and maybe there'll be some time travel. But yeah, like you said, Kess episodes have somehow consistently delivered so i will i'll maintain hope i mean there's got to be something good in this season right all right man i actually have us a rule of acquisition courtesy of stan sitwell's foolish capitalism at the obvious cost of his own life uh rule of acquisition number 23 nothing is more important than your health except your money so there you have it What's what's causing a resonance cascade failure in the future that's going to kill yourself as well if, you know, it means getting some extra iPods? Well, this has been Vija, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant and also the wonderful movie Looper. And <laughs> and provided that uh, Peter and I's friendship has not been shattered by his terrible taste and uh, in, in inability to recognize the wonder uh, that is the film Looper. Uh, we'll be uh, back with you uh, next week with our review of Warlord. Just just watch Looper and 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 see how that one observation just crushes the entire movie. That's my gift to you. The, the crime lord lied. Fair. The crime lord. Okay. See you next time. <laughs>